first full day of young injunction in the Prasner dragon boat. Tulips pushing up in the temple garden. Snowdrops already in bloom. And here we are. Always already awakened. Always already Buddha. Inconceivable, inconceivable. No. A little story. When I was with Sunam on pilgrimage in 1982, we went to about 90 temples and monasteries for varying times, like from everywhere from one hour to 10 days. And it was fall time. And a lot of all of Korea was in bloom and at, in the midst of harvest. And I couldn't help but picking up seeds around. And so I did a lot of cosmos seeds and some seeds of a plant which I now it looked like corn, but corn with branches more than growing straight up. It's called yumju plant. And after we got settled back here in Ann Arbor, I took some of those yumju seeds and planted them in the garden, hoping that although our climate is fairly different from Korea, um, still they might bear these seeds. So the seeds are in the garden and life goes on. And one thing that happened more perhaps in the first two decades here than these days was that there were a lot of visits from Koreans to the temple and especially Korean women who had students in at the University of Michigan. So they'd be coming to visit and then they'd find, oh, there's a Korean Buddhist temple. So we have to, so the student would bring the mother to the temple, sometimes over and over again. It was lovely. And I always tried to figure out, you know, what to do with these dear women who were so devoted and happy to be at the temple, but didn't speak a word of English. And, I only knew a few of Korean. So I thought, oh, I'll show them the cosmos because cosmos grow everywhere in, in Korea, up and down all the wayside and also in the monasteries. I was looking at my pictures from that trip yesterday and saw lots of pictures of cosmos. And so the cosmos were mainly in the front yard then. And then I thought, well, the Yamju plant is growing up and it has even a few little hints of seeds. Maybe I'll take this postal nymph out to see 
this young Jew plant in the back garden. So I did. And her son came along and the three of us arrived at the young Jew plant. And she started to jump up and down joyfully. And she said something that is in the Korean expression, I go, I go, which means awesome, wonderful, and marvelous, that kind of thing, I go. And then she talked very quickly to her son. And I looked, looking for translation. And he said, these are the most wonderful, resilient plants. The seeds are often strung, traditionally, Koreans strung the seeds into beads, like we give at um, the precept-taking ceremony. And um, they're, they're really um, valued, even more so than the wooden beads, you know, because they've grown from this plant. And she said to uh, her son, who said to me that often Buddhists are buried with their malas around their necks. And if, and the uh, Yamju beads, are on them when they uh, are put into the ground. And she said, you know, sometimes after a hundred years, a young Jew plant will grow up from the grave. This makes it like, wow, not only was that seed pierced with a needle to get the thread through, but it's been sitting around in the ground for a hundred years and grew up, she said, we're just like that too. We're all Buddhas. We can be pierced and pierced and still be really, really resilient. And I really love that story because sometimes I think these days that we all feel so pierced and pierced or we're in the middle of a situation where people are. And so to know uh, to um, that we are really more resilient than we ever think we are. It's the lesson of the Yongju plant and also of that seed. So whenever I find some of those beads, I really treasure them and know that even if they're strong, I could try planting them again. And we've just started to plant three of them because um, Tana uh, got some from his yamju plants in, in LA and sent them. So we've got them in pots, and so hopefully they'll be coming up again. Okay, so this is good news. And uh, you know, how do we work with all this stuff? to get to that Buddha that's always there and awakened that's always there. Well, there are three essentials in, in our Zen tradition, which I'd like to share with you. We often put them at the top of the Yom and Jungjin circle. Um, great faith, great determination or energy, and great don't know mind. And there's some, uh, from uh, the Chan Whip, a Chinese, um, a compilation of Chinese Dharma teachings, great faith is translated as having the faculty of great confidence. I can do this. This can be done. People have, men and women. 
And then the one for great determination and energy, having the determination of great fury. I kind of like, we can get furious about some situation, but how about furious about finding out who we really are? You know, and what capacity we have. And then the third one, the great don't know mind is, having that sensation of great indecision and apprehension really what is it all about let me know great apprehension and indecision so the combination of this great faith the great confidence the great fury and the great indecision and apprehension we roll it into a ball with our practice for young Jungjin and see if we can go beyond our kind of habitual patterns, because those are what we have. That's what the needle pierced through. So the young Jew plant could actually grow. Yes. So then I found, you know, so what would it be like if we, you know, could really awaken to our Buddha nature? and really feel awake. And I found this little description from a wheelwright, you know? A wheelwright is a person who builds wheels and they have spokes, not like car wheels, but old wagon wheels. And, um, and it's quite an art and it made me think, of the second noble truth that no the first noble truth that there's suffering and that's dukkha and it means a wheel is kind of wobbling it's not just quite going straight is that it wobbles from time to time so when i saw this um this these words from the wheel right i thought of that and i was also touched let me share them as the wheelwright said, not going slowly or quickly, I find it in my hands and accord with it in my mind, but my mouth can express it in words. There's an art or knack to it. Let me read that again. Not going slowly or quickly, I find it in my hands and accord with it in my mind, but my mouth can't express it in words. There is an art or knack to it. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes when you're in a situation, you're just there with it, and somehow it feels just right. It could be a kind of relationship moment it could be some work that you're doing. And it's not something that words really need to be present for because we have this bodily feeling of rightness, of balance. I wonder if you've had a situation like that for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, do you think so? could be, you know, dancing with your daughter somehow. You don't have to say anything, but it just kind of happens. Or just a moment with a kitten. That there's a feeling that it's just right. 
That's why we often say, or I often say to people in interviews, words fall short. Because we, we just can't really, we have to do something rather than say something in a situation. I guess that's known as the great harmonization. Okay, so one also now I want to just share with you the Chinese word for meditation, which I think it goes. It's been fascinating for me to get into the Chinese Dharma. It became much of Korean uh, tradition too. The word for meditation, K O N G Fu Kong Fu. I think that's one definition. And it originally means um, a craftsperson or artisan, Kung Fu, which goes with the wheelwright thing, when you're making art. And then now, meditation, Kung Fu means laboring with mental power, concentrating, concentration on the mind of the matter. That's what I think we think of is, you know, trying to labor with our mind meditation and i really prefer that being an artisan or a craftsperson where we are really feeling with our whole body the way our body as a receptor so then that takes me to a story about two tibetan teachers and um, uh, one was called Marpa. He was a farmer, and he was the teacher of Milarepa. And Milarepa had decided that he wanted to go into the mountains to do a meditation retreat for several years. And before he left, he went to Marpa for some advice. And um, Marpa didn't give any advice. Apparently, he gave him an amulet, sort of a container. And Milarepa at that point had really long hair. So he wound this amulet with whatever advice or that Milarepa or Marpa had given him in his hair and went off. So he is out in the mountains, traveling, staying in some places, begging in local villages for the years. And things had their ups and downs. And then he had a real down. His meditation seemed to have failed. He figured, this is useless. Some of you might feel like that sometimes. Or it's not working, you know? So, and so he decided he'd give up the retreat and just uh, go back to uh, where he came from. And then he remembered that Marpa had given this amulet. And so he thought, well, oh, maybe there's some incantation or there's some special mantra that he'll have for me. And uh, that will help me in this situation because he said, there'll be a time when it will be really tough. And this can help. So he took it out of his hair and the amulet is like a little case. And there was a little scroll rolled up. So he carefully kind of unrolled the scroll. And what he found 
What do you think he found? I'm curious what you would think it might he found in there that was going to be the absolute, this is the answer when you're really in trouble with your meditation practice. Anybody on the screen? I know you're there. Yeah. Okay, did you have an idea? It's a blank. Say what? Was it blank? No, it wasn't blank. But thanks for stepping up with trying. <laughs> it was one of the million um, conscripted versions of the great compassion Durrani that were put forward by the Japanese princess. <laughs> there were literally a million of them on little pieces of paper. Was it one of them? No, it wasn't that. But that was very creative, yeah. <laughs> Did it say keep going or something like that? <laughs> oh, no, it didn't say keep going. Was it a Starbucks coupon? Because maybe it just needed a good cup of coffee. What? Maybe you should get a coffee, cup of coffee. Was it a Starbucks coupon? Maybe no, it wasn't a, a Starbucks coffee. coupon. Okay, stop, because you guys are way off. I have a serious one. What? Was it just breathe? Okay, well, you're getting just a little closer. What it was, was a scroll which had diagrams of all kinds of yoga postures and directions for breathing. So when you are really stuck with your meditation, go to your body. And I like this story because I've been saying that a lot. That's my experience, that my body really helps me. But it, it kind of was um, that he then started to do these postures and finished off his retreat. So the reason I'm telling you this story is because this is the hardest day of the retreat and tomorrow will be the next hardest day. <laughs> and the next hardest day is the next one. It's not like a kind of, oh, it gets very easy unless we stay a few months. And I don't think you have the intention. But to please begin to do much more with your body. When you have a break, going to do stretching exercises that you know, yoga that you know, um, whatever you know in terms of a physical work with your body. I mean, it could also be like, I assume I'm, wow, there's a spider. <laughs> you know, Sunam used to, at the retreats, none of you were there then, but he used to have us walk on each other's backs mm -hmm. we would just take turns doing that and because he knew that our bodies just needed to be needed you know and he would also have us do all this pounding on our feet you know and i would watch him and he would be doing all this up on his legs and he would do stuff he made up all those stretching exercises that we do because i think he also knew that we need to be so embodied. We're such talking heads in this culture these times. And our talking can get us way out of whack and out of touch with our awakened nature and our Buddha nature. So I'm on a, I guess I'm being, doing an advertisement for, um, <laughs> please do as much physical 
work with your body and keep with your practice at the same time. When you do physical work with your body and also practice, there's a beautiful grace that comes with it. We can just pound away, but if we're mindful with our practice, there's a whole different dimension that comes. Yeah, my experience. So, and also of course, prostrations and our posture, our very posture is important to take care of. So when things get kind of challenging, go to your body. It makes sense, doesn't it? Have you had the experience that that's helpful? Yeah, most people have, but you have to just do it. It's not that you cannot do it. So here we have the first day of the retreat. Let me respectfully remind you, life and death are of supreme importance. Time swiftly passes and opportunity can be lost. Take heed, do not squander the day. Okay? Okay. Have you got a lot of energy? Yes. Yes. Are you sure? Yes. yes. <laughs>